0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. I'm Tony, and today is episode 140 of the podcast, where I sit down with legendary podcaster, speaker, and author, Carrie Newhoff. Carrie and I first met about 10 years ago, and he began to share with me and with thousands of others. Literally, his content is accessed by over half a million people every single month. And it's all about how to live and lead at your best. We talk about what it means to be in your thrive cycle. We talk about color zones from his latest resource at your best. We talk about all of it and so much more in this conversation. Hey, do me a favor. If you enjoyed this conversation, leave us a rating or review on iTunes, on Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're excited to connect with you. Also, if you can share this episode with a friend Or follow Carrie on socials. Let him know that you heard him here on the Reclamation Podcast. I'm so thankful to be on this journey with each and every one of you. And now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Carrie Newhoff. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today. um, This is kind of like a bucket list interview for me because I get to interview someone who's been mentoring me for the last decade in so many things. Uh, the legendary Carrie Newhoff. Carrie, thank you so much for being here today.
1: I get to be on your show. This is really exciting, Tony. We've met in real life a couple times and I've uh, been following each other online for a while. So just a thrill to be with you and thank you so much for having me.
0: I'll tell you that um, I, I've taken so many of your courses and through the midst of my ministry career, I've had the privilege of, of watching your um, your calling and kind of your mission shift methods, to use one of your phrases. Over the years, I'm curious. Um, you've gone from lawyer to from pastor to founding pastor to teaching pastor, and now the CEO of a um, a, a fairly well off business. Um, from all you know aspects on the outside, anyway. Um, how would you define your calling in 2021?
1: Yeah, I feel a very intense calling to help. People thrive in life and leadership, so I have a real heart for leaders. I know a lot of leaders are not thriving, and I would say this feels like a call at this season of my life. If you'd asked me five years ago when I had exited being the lead pastor of a church, I would be like, "I don't know what I'm doing right now." I just this hobby is taking up a lot of my time, but since you know God kind of shook me down in 2018, I feel like and. He's like, okay. Have you enjoyed two years off of like ministry? Would you like to come back and and work for me full time again? And I'm like, I don't know, um, but it was it was like uh, I'd stepped out of day to day ministry and uh, was still teaching at our church. But then I had this hobby, podcasting, and and all that. And I didn't have a lot of staff. I had a couple of assistants just to help with the volume because we, we had a lot of listeners and readers and stuff like that. But it was it was easy. I could just shut it down if I wanted to. And then it was like, well, do you want to really staff it? I'm like, oh, then I have payroll again. And then I got a team that I got to lead. And do I want to do that? And I felt like God kind of said, you know, well, if you want to come back to work, like there's lots of stuff that we can do in the future. And so, after a Season of prayer and reflection. I'm like, yeah, I'm in. And so now I got a staff. Now we got a company. Now we got a payroll. And uh, but it's a joy to get up and do this every day. So that's what I'm doing these days. And really, it's just it's it's kind of helping people from a slightly different perspective than I did for 20 years in the church, or than I might have done in law had I had I pursued that.
0: Yeah, so I'm curious, what's it like to have, um, because I know that your son's on your team and I know your wife is uh partner with you in some things. What's it like to have the family dynamic in, I mean, this is truly kind of a family business, but it's a little bit bigger than a family business. H- how's that working out?
1: Yeah, three or the eight or nine, are family—they have Newhoff as the last name. <laughs> I I'd never, my wife and I, my wife and I said for years, sorry about that. My wife and I said for years that we would never be able to work together, and here we are working together. So she was always at a law firm or a hospital or a pharmacy or that kind of thing, and you know, then my son—that was like I didn't set out to work with Sam, but uh, he was in accounting. And he worked in a bank tower, did not like it um, for a variety of reasons. Loved the people, not the, the career or the work. And he was 23. Of course, I'm his dad. I'm trying to encourage him to stay and, you know, get your ticket or whatever. Sure. And he was just ready to go. And I'm like, I said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, I don't, I don't know, dad. And I said, well, our company was at an inflection point. I said, we're growing like crazy. I can't do the finance anymore. Like, it's way beyond my pay grade. And he was an accountant. I said, why don't you come on, be the CFO, the manager. And then that's not a full-time job. We're not that big, but I'll, I'll give you marketing or growth or something. And that was two and a half years ago, and he's done just a killer job. And it's one of the great joys in my life. And then my wife had practiced either pharmacy or law, for most of the time I was in ministry. When the kids were young, it was very, very part-time. And then when uh, our youngest was in high school, she kind of went to, to full-time law and got into uh, family law, really trying to help families stay together. But by the time you go and see a lawyer, you know, you're pretty far gone <laughs> as far as yeah. staying together goes. Yeah. So, uh, Tony said, I really want to help people stay together, not pull them apart. And uh so, you know, she stepped back from law and thought, I don't know what I, what I want to do with the next chapter of my life. And then she had a book idea and literally within a month of her stepping back from the firm, uh, she got a book offer and we tried to figure out how to do it corporately and she had her own company, but you, law is very restricted in what you can use your company for. I'm like, well, I have a broader corporation. Why don't you just come under my umbrella? So yeah, now now there's three of us working in the family. We're trying to get my oldest son in, uh, but I don't think I can afford him. He's a software engineer. So anyway, <laughs> uh, but no, it's it's fantastic. And uh, you know, we warn all the rest of the team members, hey, we're all connected, but we try to keep it very professional. And so it's a, it's a great joy to actually be working together and enjoying it right now.
0: Uh, one of the things I know about your team is it's uh, predominantly made up of of the next generation of leaders, right? You're you're very mm. open about how intentionally you hire young leaders. I'm curious, what have you learned about yourself in the process of hiring uh, the next generation these these young leaders? What what have you kind of seen in the mirror as you've made these hires?
1: They have a lot of energy and a lot of joy (laughs) and a lot of enthusiasm, which I love. I think that's fantastic. They're also a really good check against my instincts and my preferences. So one of the things as a, as a leader myself in my mid fifties, I realized that my attitudes, beliefs and preferences were shaped in a different set of decades than Hmm. theirs were. So, you know, everything from branding to approach to methodology, I find I, I rely on my judgment less and less and theirs more and more because most of my audience is their age. Most of my audience is 35 and under. And so, you know, the good news is they want to hear from an older leader like myself. the 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 tougher part of that is it's very easy to get out of touch. It's very easy to... Pretend like I I threw something on my social. One of the trends of 2021 is restaurants are dumping their menus for QR codes. And I think it's a really dumb idea. And I just think it's cheap. I think it's harder. Uh, I don't want to look at a menu, although I have, you know, brand new iPhone, you know, the latest, latest. And I have decent eyes. I don't. I don't want to go look it up every time and take the picture. But you know, my audience, who's younger, is most of them thought it was a really cool idea. I'm like, all right, what do I know? I don't know. So I think they're a really good check. They get a lot of enthusiasm, and they research things in a different way than I would. So I feel like I get to bring a little bit of the wisdom. They get to bring a lot of the freshness and the innovation. And actually, two of the the major ideas, and I want I can't say anything about them right now. But two of the major initiatives we'll be doing next year, I did not think of. Uh, wow. 25-year-olds on the team came up with them. And so we're going to do it. And I, I think that's great.
0: Yeah, I once heard you say uh, at, at the Change the World Conference at Gingersburg Church is that, uh, that, that you want to create a church that someday you wouldn't want to attend, right? When we Correct. talk about mission over method. And I'm curious, is that, kind of, is that what's happening in your own business?
1: Ah, maybe to an extent. I mean, part of it is... That might be an
0: overstatement. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. The whole idea behind create a church you no longer want to attend is eventually you age out on stuff like music and preferences, etc. So I should be leading a church or part of a church that I'm like, oh, I don't really like the music why don't they bring back, you know, Hillsong, or why don't they bring back Elevation <laughs> Worship? Or I thought Elevation I just want to hear Oceans worship. one more time. <laughs> oceans one more time. Or, you know, Elevation Worship was better five years ago than they are today, sure. right? Like you eventually get in that space, or why are preachers doing it this way? And so, you know, I, I do think there's an element of that in the company. On the other hand, yeah. I feel less—leading a church is different than leading a company leading a church, it's like you're leading a church like it's a church, it's the church. this is in the Bible. you better not screw it up and there there there's there's a higher level of accountability and stewardship. Now you know there's a level of accountability before God, before the government when you're running a business. but I feel like uh, the lines are a little less set and you get to play paint on a bigger canvas. so we get to do some things that maybe you you couldn't do at the church which is which is really kind of fun. And you know, it's also like if the church fails, I feel really responsible. If my business fails, it's like I'm going to take really good care of the team, but it's just a business at the end of the day.,
0: uh, so one of the things that you and your team have been putting out a lot recently is about the great resignation. and and mm-hmm. you you had a podcast today, episode four sixty with Ken Coleman. You've blogged about it recently, and I, I've been watching you write about it more and more. and one of the things I know about you is that you you test things out before you you put out b- even bigger thoughts. Um, I, I'm curious: is there a connection? Um, w- what's the connection, rather, between the Great Resignation and burnout? Are are they the same thing? Are they different? Uh, I can't quite put my finger on if I think they're um, they're one and the same, or if it's more of a, a clarity of calling versus burning out. I'd it's love to hear pers- your thoughts.
1: It's a perceptive question, Tony, because I hadn't really thought about it until you raised the question. But, yeah, I think there is a linkage. So, you know, the great resignation, I try to help leaders process the stuff that nobody is helping them process. So we all know the great resignation is happening. It's been pretty well documented. You know, a year ago on my podcast, William Vanderblumen came on. And this is the first inkling of it. He just said, I think 2021 is going to be a year of high turnover. So I called the episode the year of turnover. And it it performed really, really well. Tens of thousands of leaders accessed it. I'm like, well, he's right. He thought there was a glut in the system. Anyway, long story short, you know, then it turns into the great resignation and people are leaving and everything. And so, you know, that that, uh, really surprised me how big the story is, how historic it is, and... Almost all the leaders I serve are being impacted by it. So that's why I wanted to cover the story. And again, I'm not the Wall Street Journal. I'm not USA Today. I'm a blogger and a podcaster. So I can just add a little bit of color commentary here and there you know, along the way. But what I'm seeing in the comments, on social media, on the articles, on my website, is a lot of people who are very frustrated, very burned out. And I think what happened is that the, you know, the, uh, what would I say? The exit has been a catharsis of sorts about some of this function in the system. So if you go into my website, you start looking at some of the articles. It's like, I was just so sick of the toxic culture. I was tired of my boss. I was tired of being told to give, 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 and never receive, sieve, sieve. So I left. Now, one of the substories of the great resignation is it's not the panacea everybody thought it would be. You leave your company and it's like, oh, this new job isn't any better, or I don't have a job, or now I'm in a job I don't want. And now what do I do? Right. So that's the part nobody's really covering, but that's starting to happen. But what I do see is that, you know, COVID the last two years has been a very defining moment for a lot of us. We realized when our whole life got seized, so to speak, there were parts of it we didn't like. There were parts of it that we wanted fixed. And now that we have this power, this freedom, we can work independently, we can work from anywhere, we can leave, there are lots of jobs out there, we have the sense of freedom. And it's a sense, I think, in which we get to to just vent our concerns. Now, where I think that will land is we realize, oh, I brought myself with me to my new job, and I have some unhealthy patterns I probably (laughs) need to deal with, and... This new job isn't better than the old job, so it might be a little bit of Groundhog Day. But I think at least it gives us the opportunity to perhaps recast the die.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably a good word. And and I think one of the things that I've heard you talk about before and, and I've seen in my colleagues and even in my own life is that, that sometimes it's about just taking off um, the things that were maybe obstacles before, right? And so we're, we're kind of freeing ourselves up to do the work that we feel like God has, has called us to. Um, as you think about your calling and as you think about the work that you're doing, um, how, how do you discern what's God's voice and what is just frustration, burnout? Like, how, how did you know in 2018, God was like, come on back, Carrie, come on back. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's a really great question. So in 2015, let me go back a few years, when I stepped out of the lead pastor role, uh, when, I, when I going back 25 years, when I got called into ministry, I felt a very clear sense of calling. Like I, I thought, okay, that's God. I know it's God. And that's a story for another day. Leaving ministry, I was less certain. And what I had was I knew that succession was a major problem, Well, almost never went well in the church. Number two, I knew that I had a very narrow window to do a good job at succession because I had a leader who could lead the church. And if I didn't act now, that leader would probably be gone. Third, I also was starting to feel in me some inclination that I'm not as passionate about this as I was a decade ago. And that was a warning sign. I thought I could probably do it for another 5 years and get away with it but I also saw a lot of leaders in their 50s kind of enter this period of malaise right we're just nothing they weren't excited about anything anymore I'm like oh I wonder if I have some of those stirrings inside me right now and then I thought we were positioned to do the succession so I approached the elders and my potential successor who actually became my successor and then a bunch of us prayed about it for 3 months and you know, I, I, the elders prayed about it, I prayed about it, Jeff, my successor, prayed about it, Tony prayed about it, I had a handful of people that I was texting, talking to regularly who were not part of our, our day-to-day community who were praying about it as well, and at the end of it, I was like 90% certain it was time to make the leap, but I didn't know. And there was one day, if you're looking for like prompting or that kind of thing, where I went on a bike ride because that's how I often process things. And I was like, gosh, you know, once you step down, you can't go back the next day and say, hey, can I have my old job back? (laughs) Like, hey, Jeff, give me my office back. You can't do that, right? Like right now (laughs) I hold the power. Right now I could say before I, you know, push the button, I could just go back to the elders and say, you know, that was a really bad idea. I want to be the lead pastor. And I'm pretty sure everybody would have said, okay. But I'm like, you know, once I, once I push that button, there's no going back. So should I push the button or not? Should I leave or should I not? Driving, riding my bike. And I pass a building we built 15 years earlier uh, when I was part of the Presbyterian church. And I felt like God said, when you left law, do you regret that? I'm like, Nope. Then I passed the building, and I felt like God said, when you left your denomination, do you regret that? I'm like, nope. And he goes, then you're not going to regret this. Trust mm. me. Now, that was subjective. That was a prompting. Pretty much everybody else in our inner circle of discernment was saying, yeah, you, sh- you should go now. But I was also hearing people who were like, you're way too young. You're only 50. Oh, my goodness. The church is growing double digits. What are you doing? That's stupid. That's stupid. But I felt like it was right, so I went, and wisdom is proved right by all of her children. Six years later, totally looks like the right decision. So, fast forward to three years later, I was still teaching at our church, um, but it wasn't taking a lot of my time. And, you know, after you've led something for 20 years, you're tired. I wasn't like burnout tired, but I was just like, oh, it's so nice not to be leading the church day to day. It's so nice to have a different set of problems, you know, and I was experiencing enjoying a lot of the freedom. But I really felt like God said, okay, that was a nice little sojourn. Like, let's let's go back into this as a calling. And uh, that, was, that was a hard decision because even financially for Tony and me, it was, you know, if I commit to a payroll and grow this and increase the staff and make this a thing, like that could be an impingement for us. But we prayed about it and we're like, okay, no, we're gonna do this with the next season of our life. And two years, three years on the other side of that decision, I'm so glad we did. And I love it. I love leading the team. I love doing this. And, you know, God has shown himself more than faithful.
0: It sounds like you have a a really um, incredible intimacy with God. And one of the things that we love to talk about around here is, is daily disciplines. We say that if, if you aren't dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. Mm. And so I'm really curious, what are some of the daily disciplines that you do to keep that intimacy fresh in your relationship with the Lord?
1: Well, it starts out in the morning, so I get up pretty early and I'll spend that first hour, hour and a half. With God, um, I don't want to make it more spiritual, sound more spiritual than it is, but I'm reading through, like, sometimes I'm very distracted. Sometimes I'm, yeah, very distracted. But I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, do, I'll, do, I'll do the Bible in a year. So, I've done that for the better part of 25 years now. And so, I'll read through an Old Testament, New Testament, Proverbs, you know, Psalm, that kind of thing in the morning. And then uh, I'll spend some time praying and reflecting, sometimes journaling. And then, um, you know, after that, I I will sometimes just read widely, like on anything from the metaverse to something that caught my eye to the news and just kind of process that and then move into the day. So, that's a discipline. Uh, Another discipline, believe it or not, that is huge for me is sleep. Uh, I did burn out 20 years ago or 15 years ago. Um, Sleep Deficits were a huge part of that, so I try to get eight hours of sleep every night, and I feel so much better for it. Um, this sounds pretty basic, but exercise. So in the summers I cycle, in the winters I run, and I'm getting back into running season now, so I'm enjoying that. And um, and then healthy relationships, like what? Who are the people in our life that we're closest to? Because I have the privilege of serving millions of leaders, but I don't I don't know them from Adam, so really close friendships, people that, you know, my family, my friends, keep them close, get together, nurture those relationships, that if those are are healthy, and then not letting my schedule get overburdened. um, I realize I'm really a a 15-meeting-a-week person. That's about my capacity. That's it. I'm not – if I spend more times in meetings than that a week, I get really tired. If I spend less than 10 – Meetings a week, then I get bored. So uh, somewhere in that 10 to 15 range is a pretty good range for me. And when I have 15 commitments in a week, my week's full. It doesn't matter. So what that means is that might be 15 out of 40 hours. So you got whoa, you got 25 like open hours in the week. Yeah, but that's where I do my content. That's where I you know little fires show up. So you try to fight them then. And if I do a lot more than that, then I, I I become a grumpy
0: person. Hey guys, just pausing this conversation with Carrie to let you know that now is the time to go ahead and sign up for the Spirit and Truth Conference. If you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that we're a part of the Spirit and Truth Podcast Network. And March 17th through the 19th in Dayton, Ohio, we are having a huge conference. It's gonna feel more like a revival, a camp meeting, an opportunity to fill your cup. At Stillwater Church, March 17th through the 19th, now is the time to register. Go to spiritandtruth.life to register today. And when you register, put in the podcast promo code reclamation for $20 off a little gift from us to you. I can't wait to see you there. I'll be hosting that weekend. And I know it's going to be a life giving event for the leaders who are present. Now, let's continue our conversation with Carrie. I mean, this is a great transition to uh, your latest resource at your best. And as this podcast releases, it's the first of the year. I know a lot of people are are looking at you know new habits, new routines, new disciplines. But I kind of want to start with the theology behind it because this book is what I would call sneaky Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not overtly, um, hey, this is your faith, but it it's clearly based in like this is kind of how we get to our best. So let me start with why does our best matter to God?
1: Mm. Well, yeah, you're right. There's no scripture in the book. So now you're making me think, which is good. And that was intentional. It was a a Trojan horse. So good on you for noticing that. We've got Seth Godin and Adam Grant on the front cover and Pat Lencioni on the back because I want business leaders to read it. And maybe it's a front door. Um, But yeah, I mean... A couple of reasons. Number one, I believe God is good. Number two, the Old Testament and new seems to be bringing God our best, not our worst, right? That's the whole Old Testament sacrifice model. It would be tempting if you have 10 sheep to say, well, this weak one, that's probably not going to make it to February. We'll just sacrifice it because it's going to die anyway. And God's like, no, 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 you get to keep that one. I want you to bring me your best, like the choice one, okay? And yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a sacrifice in that. But, but on a very practical level, I would just say, you know, I want to I be the best dad I can be for my kids, and even though they're mm. grown now, and the best husband for my, my wife. And, you know, I'm a boss, and I got eight team members who depend on me, and I don't want to give them my leftovers. And, you know, Jesus, from a New Testament perspective, brought in a semi-realized eschatology. What does that mean? big words. It means that the kingdom of heaven is then, but it's also now. It means the kingdom of heaven is near. It's nearer than you think. And so, there are elements of it. It's not like burn the earth and one day God will bring a new one. It's like, no, you know, there is a sense of the very nearness of God right now and the presence of God. And Jesus said he came to bring life and life to the full. And most of us are living our lives drained. So, there's a disconnect there. And I believe there's a fullness that will come only from heaven, but you know, if Jesus, if Jesus wants us to have life and life to the full, then what does that actually mean? So hence at your best.
0: Yeah. I I was, as I was reading it, I was thinking to myself, this is work as worship. You you know, this Mm -hmm. is life as worship. This is being a father and a husband as worship. And, um, it felt like the next natural step for me. So I, I took your um, your course on, on high capacity leaders and we oh, talked yeah. about block scheduling, right? And, and block scheduling was revolutionary for me. And if anyone who's listened to the podcast has heard me talk about block scheduling before because I'm a block scheduling evangelist, but this takes it one step further when you're block scheduling with your zones. I'm wondering if you could kind of talk about how that was a natural um, progression and and kind of what the zones are
1: well the high impact leader which is the course that you took was the beta for what became at your best and having taught that course for four years and seeing thousands of leaders go through it uh my own journey got a little bit bigger and deeper and then you know i heard from thousands of leaders who were saying hey this is really you know helpful for these reasons so um what i did was was added zones just tried to make it memorable and it's been encouraging to hear how memorable this seems to be but if you look at you know the fact that we have 24 equal hour or 24 equal hours in the day all of us intuitively know that those hours are not they don't feel equal, they don't produce equal. So they're equal in time, but they're not equal in impact. Try to have a conversation with your wife at noon is different than having one at midnight. Probably at midnight, there's some kind of crisis going on, or there's a baby awake, or you you can't sleep, or there's a thunderstorm or something. And your energy waxes and wanes over the course of the day. So what research is increasingly showing, and what I figured out before I did the research, is I've only got three to five peak hours in a day. And we all like to pretend that we're robots. We all want to say, no, you know, I can go 18 hours a day and look at how strong I am. And no, no, I got about even as a writer, as somebody who who does my best and gets eight hours of sleep and exercises, three to five super productive hours in a day. And those are just human limits. Cal Newport says we have about four. Other brain scientists would would put the range into three to five. And on the one hand, that's really dismal, Tony. It's like, are you kidding me? I, I don't get more than that. But I think we all know that's true. So would you say, are you a morning person or like afternoon, night owl? I'm
0: um, definitely a morning person. I'm a, I'm definitely a morning. 445, right. 430 kind of guy.
1: And what would you say your peak hours are when you're really like up and humming and functioning?
0: Uh, Eight to 11
1: eight to 11. So there it is three hours. And then now, you have I point?
0: had the advantage. Of, I, I clocked it out already. I, I, I took right. my so energy you did, clock. You did. The I homework. did. I did the homework and I'm my red zone is, uh, between one and three is, is de- I need to take a nap that, that can turn my red zone into a yellow zone for me. Um, if I can get a nap in there.
1: See, this is interesting. Okay, so as I've done more and more interviews, the book is barely out. It's been out a couple of months, but I've, I've done lots and lots of podcast interviews, and I love asking the people who are interviewing me what the red zone is. Mine is four to six, but most mm. people, if they're really honest, like after lunch is not a good zone. It's like, oh, my God. And it's not because you went for the heavy pasta or something like that. It's just like, no, I could eat salad and nuts, and I still get tired in the afternoon, And that means you're human. So all of us have a green zone. Green zones when you're at your best. Yours is eight to 11. Mine's about seven to 10, seven to 11. Similar thing, three to five hours. You have a red zone where you're tired, minus four to six. That's where it's like three brain cells left. I can't make any decisions. I better caffeinate or get a nap or something or go for a walk. And then everything else is yellow. Everything else is just, you're not at your best. You're not at your worst. And what, what, First of all, knowing that is a help because then you're like, oh, I better not schedule important decisions for 2 p.m. Or really critical, like review all the financials and make recommendations. Probably not a good idea at 2 o'clock in the (laughs) afternoon. Or for me, 4.30, right? Like I got to be at grunt level work by 4.30 or it's not going to be good or it's not going to happen. But what the mistake people do is they don't realize, number one, they only have three to five good hours a day. And then number two, they spend them indiscriminately. So mm. textbook example, I used to do a ton of breakfast meetings and you know how breakfast meetings go. You meet at the restaurant at seven, think you're going to be out of there at eight. You're not out of there till eight thirty. Then you go to a coffee shop, grab a coffee, go to the office. Everybody wants to talk to you. Uh, you're finally at your desk at 10. It's like, oh, that was a late start. You still got a sermon to write or whatever you're working on. And then you notice, oh, I got five texts and uh, 28 emails. Okay, better do that text, 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 email, email, email. It's 1130. Your stomach's grumbling. I guess I'll go for lunch. You get back at one and somebody pulls you into a meeting. Hey, Tony, can we pick your brain? Right? Okay. 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 Then you got more texts, more emails. Then somebody pulls you into another meeting. Then it's 430. What have you got done that day? Nothing. Your sermon isn't written. (laughs) Nothing's done. So then what do you do? You either try again the next day and usually the same pattern repeats, or you do what most people do. You take it home. And then it's 8.30 at night, you're watching Netflix with your family, you're falling asleep on the couch, and you're trying to write your message. And then it's Saturday, and your message still isn't done. And then you just do that week after week, getting back to your burnout point. Yeah, people are sick of that. They're absolutely tired of it, and they're, they're drained. And I used to live that way until I burned out. And then on the other side, started paying attention to time, energy, and priorities. So the secret there, how does this relate to green, yellow, red? Figure out when you're at your best. And then do the stuff that's most important, the stuff that you are best at when you are at your best. So for me, that's sermon writing or these days book writing or podcast prep or whatever I happen to be doing that day. Like this morning in my green zone before I jumped on a whole bunch of interviews in my yellow zone today, I, I, you know, I'm, tomorrow I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm interviewing a Facebook executive and metaverse pastor and a Harvard professor. So I finished oh, up wow. my research on all three fronts, uh, formulated the questions, because that takes a lot of horsepower, and I will do the interviews tomorrow when I'm in my yellow zone, because if I'm prepared well, and the metaphors verse stuff, I've been reading on for months, and Web3, and crypto, and blockchain, and all that, I want to be ready. So I've, I've spent a lot of my green zone over the last month preparing for this, now tomorrow I'll be ready.
0: Yeah. One of the things you talk about in the book is this idea about um, cutting out the distractions in your green zone. Um, I I think that the distractions are, they happen so quickly and they're so sneaky and you don't even know that you're distracted until all of a sudden it's been an hour. What are some of the tips, tools, or tricks that you give to people when you talk about uh, eliminating distractions from your best work time?
1: So I'm not naturally good at this. I love distractions because I Me basically too. am ADD. They're fun. So a discipline that I, I developed years ago, uh, long before it was popular, talked about was just turn off all notifications on your phone. So when you get a new iPhone, your computer, whatever, your, your iPad, you, you can take five minutes and do this today. Just go into your settings, turn off all notifications. Now, people get panicked about that because of FOMO, right? It's like, well, what if I don't hear from my son or what if I don't... The problem with correspondence digitally, it's true, actually. Well, no, it's not true. Think about how the post office works. Post office works that, if it works, (laughs) if it works, here's how (laughs) it works. I was going to
0: say it, I was going to say it, but I don't want (laughs) to (laughs) interrupt.
1: If it works, once a day, a letter carrier shows up at your house or your office and says, here, Tony... Here is all the mail. Now, they don't even ring your doorbell. Right? They don't ring your doorbell. If you live where I do in the middle of nowhere, I have a, a like a, a post office box or what, do you, what am I saying? A mailbox at the end of my driveway. I don't have to go to it until whenever I want. I could go tomorrow. The mail is still going to be there. I select the mail when I want to get the mail. Now, electronic communication doesn't work that way. When you text me, I get it immediately. I assume it's urgent. It's not. If your letter carrier, if your post office person rang your doorbell every time you had a bill or anything left in snail mail, you'd be like, get off my porch. I'm getting a restraining order. Like you've, you've rang this bell 17 times today. Even UPS and Amazon, they don't ring the bell anymore. They're just going to leave it on your porch unless you tell them otherwise. Why? Because, you know, we get a lot of stuff shipped to our house. But it would be horribly interrupting to have that doorbell ring 17 times a day, and you know I get a lot of books because I do a podcast. I don't ask for those books; they just come to my house. If they're ringing my doorbell 17 times a day, I would get a restraining order. So what we won't allow in real life, we allow digitally. And so somebody like your Instagram post, somebody emailed you, somebody uh, messaged you on LinkedIn, somebody sent you a Facebook note, you know, comment, and you're like, what? shut it all off. You don't need to know. When I'm done this interview, I can look at my phone and figure out who texted me. And uh, I allow a few people to ring through just my family and a few key team members. And how many times has the phone rung during this interview? Zero. Everybody else goes direct to voicemail. Why? Because I can get the voicemail in an hour or a half hour when we're finished. And if I don't want to get it then and I want to go for a cup of coffee, I'll get it at four o'clock this afternoon. But we live with this false urgency and we're terrified of, of, you know, not getting information at the right time. If it's really an emergency, the police are going to knock at the door and they're going to tell me that something happened. Okay. That doesn't happen very much in my life. And, you know, I'm sure we've all been in a place where we've gone off the grid for the day because you don't, you're not in range. You don't have internet. What happened while you were away? Nothing. Well, why don't you just live every day that way? And so, you know, I I zone off my green zones and then I can go and respond to all that stuff at 11 a.m. When I still got some energy, but it didn't bother me. If it's really a nuclear emergency, my staff knows that they can call me and it will ring through. And they never do. Because it's never a nuclear Uh, emergency.
0: I love that. I have a little bit of a rabbit trail, just because I am super curious about it. Go, you're you're talking to the Facebook guy tomorrow about the metaverse. Have you thought any about notifications in the metaverse and what this will do to uh, our attention span? Uh,
1: no idea. I have read for days, if not hours, hours if not days, on the metaverse, and listened to many podcasts. I still can't come up with a good definition. And we might be 20 years out from a true metaverse. But yeah, it's this whole idea that it's your avatar and a virtual world and virtual currency. I'm not even saying it right. So somebody
0: sent me a text today about selling land or buying land and the value of that land on the metaverse. And the the price. I mean, it was just a wild wild. And I was like
1: somebody you knew.
0: It, it was somebody i knew it was a group of guys who i'm in, i'm in a discipleship group with and they're talking about bitcoin and they're talking about investments and they're all entrepreneurs and you know i love them to death and i, I now none of them are going to do it right but it was always like well this is super interesting can you buy space in the metaverse and i it's way i was like listen guys i've got a podcast to record today i've got things i got to write i have no space for this <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a great question right i've i've been thinking about getting into crypto for about seven years and the right yeah. time to have gotten into crypto is about seven years ago but uh That's you know right. it's challenging yeah uh
0: i so i am curious um i i love i'm, I'm friends with ryan hawk who's been on your podcast mm-hmm. and and i was uh in a, a leadership circle with him for a year and got to know him pretty well and one of the one of the the great things that I stole from him is making sure to pay attention to people's dedication pages. Hmm. And you dedicated this book um, to your grandparents. And I may say the name wrong, uh, Garrett and Greta Knapp. Yeah. um, Because they they gave you all the time in the world for me. It felt like an emotional moment in the dedication. I'm wondering if you could just share just a little bit about your thought when you wrote that.
1: My grandparents were Dutch immigrants. They came from Holland in the 1950s. I was born in the 60s. And they were our next-door neighbors for the first 10 years of my life. And they were basically my second parents. And I guess my grandmother had a job at one point, but she never seemed like she had a job because whenever we were back after school or whatever, she just had all the time in the world for us and was never, you know, she was cooking dinner or whatever, but always had time. When my grandfather came home from work, We were just, they were just always there. And they reminded me of how I wished I had raised, how I wished I had been Hmm. when my kids were younger. But I was distracted and I was busy and I was on my devices too often. And as I was writing the book, because I did think about who to dedicate it to, just my grandparents. You know, I say it with a great deal of affection, but they just never seemed in a rush. They never seemed hurried. And, uh, you know, they were born over 100 years ago. They're gone now. But that was really special. And I hope we can, through the tools I share and At Your Best, recapture that kind of lingering timelessness, even in a hyper-digital era. Um, We need it. We're humans. Our souls are thirsty. And we miss each other.
0: As I read it, I thought to myself, I wonder if this is a vision statement for the next season of Carrie's life.
1: I want it to be, um, you know, my sons are flying in, we're in California right now, as I'm recording this, they're flying in on the weekend on Friday and Saturday with their girlfriends. And we're going to spend some unhurried time together in the desert at the ocean. And, you know, with my wife, like somebody, I, I gotta, I gotta track this down. But it was such a great quote um, that what are our relationships, but the sum of our conversations. And I think that's why conversation really matters. And, you know, conversation is a lost art. I think confession is a lost art. And that idea that we can just be together and share experiences. And yeah, you know, like there's a lot going on in my life right now. We get the privilege of serving millions of leaders a year. But the the reason I have something perhaps to say to millions of leaders a year is because I'm not running around at 150 miles an hour with my hair on fire anymore. Mm.
0: Amen. Amen. That's mm. so good. Um, I, I have one more question for you, but before I yeah. get to that, I know my listeners are going to want to connect with you all over the interwebs. Uh, where is the best place to pick up their copy of At Your Best and to follow you and to make sure they subscribe to your blog because you're putting out great content, um, usually four to five times a week, and it's it's always very thoughtful, very, um, I, I would say short or brief. I don't want to say short like in a negative way, but it, no, 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 it,
1: no. But that's intentional. You're busy. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, um, where's the best place to to find all things Carrie Newhoff on the interwebs?
1: So, All Things Carry, you can definitely find it at Carrienewhoff.com uh, Hard to spell, but you can figure that out. If you come close, It will, uh, you'll find it. And then for the book, the book has its own site with some resources. You can go to Uh So, don't forget the today, atyourbesttoday.com. And then, um, you know, the book's widely available anywhere you get books.
0: And we'll, of course, link to all that in the show notes. And uh, if anyone has any questions about the book or wants to talk to me, feel free uh, to email me and hit me up. I'm more than happy to share uh, my thoughts and, and how I've implemented it in my life because it's it's been a huge, huge blessing for me.
1: Well, thank you. That's been one of the great joys. I mean, I'm glad to know. I know you were a high-impact le- uh, leader alumni, so you got the beta version. And now the the book definitely is an upgrade from where we were when we produce the course but like even John Tyson has been very public that it's the best productivity hack he's mm. he's seen and he feels like he's a different preacher now that he's moved protected his green zone doing his writing there like that that ability to be able to contribute maybe in some small way to the kingdom and the success of other leaders is, is extremely gratifying and 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 I'm very thankful
0: for it So the last question I always love to ask people is an advice question. And uh, I'm going to ask you to give yourself one piece of advice, except I get to name the exact date and time, not time, but date. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to ask you to go back and give a younger version of Carrie uh, advice the day after you published episode number one with Andy Stanley. If you could go back um, and and give that younger version of yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Talk less, listen more. Hmm. Wow. I love it. Hmm. Carrie. Uh, this has been so good for me. I, I'm so grateful for the time today and for your impact on my life and really appreciate you uh, being generous with your time and, and coming on the podcast.
1: Tony, thanks for having me. It's a joy to reconnect with you. Thank you for all you're doing to help leaders. This is a big season of change in your life. So I really appreciate you having me. And, and thank you for all that you do, Tony.
0: Man, that was good. I love talking to Carrie Newhoff and I enjoy his content so much. Do me a favor. Go ahead and hit him up. Make sure you follow his podcast, the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, he's got so much stuff that he's putting out on a weekly basis, I know that you'll be fed greatly in following him. Some of the things I love from our conversation today, uh, talking about burnout as an epidemic, the great resignation, uh, it's more than just a time management strategy. So many things there that I know I'll be continuing to carry on and kind of chew on in my own life because like many of you, I don't have this all figured out. I'm just trying to do the best I can every single day. And again, that's what this podcast is all about, helping people who know Christ follow Christ more closely, to reclaim good practices for faith and life. And this was uh, definitely a practice-rich conversation. So I'm thankful for you and for being uh, a part of this journey with me. Like I said before, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button anywhere you listen to podcasts, leave a rating or review on iTunes or Spotify, and do me a favor, share this episode with a friend It's the best way to get the word out about what God is doing on this platform. And remember, guys, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.